following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. It seems like forever since I have stood here. Um, oh, that's true. That wasn't that long ago, was it? Well, um, I, I do want to uh, say thank you to Nate for bringing the word the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, understanding Scripture as one united whole is, is so very important that the Bible is not just a bunch of scattered stories, but it's one, one meta-narrative mm, of, uh, yeah, of God's redemption stories. Wonderful. So before we get into today's sermon... Um, Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you uh, again for your word. We thank you that um, your word is not just a book of history, um, but it's a book of transformation. And we ask, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would transform us. All who hear this message would be transformed by your spirit through your word. Father, we thank you for this great gift. We pray that you would use it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we are beginning a new series. Yay. Um, We're going to be following the same pattern that we have uh, for the last thousand years, uh, looking at... um, the works of one human author in the approximate order in which they were delivered. Um, We spent around seven years on the works of the Apostle Paul um, and not nearly as long on the works of the Apostle Peter, um, considering Paul wrote 13 books and Peter only wrote three, I guess. That's how it goes. So now we're moving on to a whole new author, and that author is Luke. Um, <clears throat> Luke wrote two works, um, which some people feel are merely part one and part two of the same book, um, which in, in my view is an accurate way uh, to look at them, um, especially if you look at the beginning of his second book. He says, so this is what I was saying before, and now we're going to move on to something else. So um, that's pretty cool. Uh, so... Um, the two, the two works, in case you weren't aware, Luke wrote the book of Luke, right? Uh, and he also wrote the book of Acts, um, uh, more accurately known as the, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, but even more accurate than that would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit um, through the Apostles. So uh, that's good news. We'll get there. Luke is really long, so it's going to take a while. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, So regardless of what you call these books, uh, those are the two books that Luke wrote. Um, Some scholars suggest that he collaborated with Paul to write the epistle to the Hebrews, which that was a new theory to me this week and um, is an intriguing idea for sure. Um, So maybe that's a spoiler as to where we might go after the book of Acts, but that'll be in like eight years. So, you know. (laughs) 
So what do we know about Luke? Who is this guy, Luke? Anybody know anything about Luke? He's a doctor. He's a Gentile. What? A physician? Okay. That's all anybody knows about Luke. It seems like that's that really is. Um, so it is commonly known that Luke was a doctor. Um, Paul refers to him as such. Um, so he's an educated man. The scholars believe that he is most likely from Antioch in Syria, which is the very polished city, the seat of uh, science and learning in the Roman in the Roman world of the first century. So this would explain Luke's incredible work writing his gospel, um, his gospel account and the book of Acts, because he were no dummy. Um, he's, he's a smart guy. Um, <clears throat> so Luke, Luke was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul mentions him by name several times in Philemon 24, 2 Timothy 4.11, Colossians 4.14. Um, and Luke joins, uh, joins up with Paul and his team in the city of Troas, uh, which is also known as Troy, um, where some lady from named Helen is from. Um, right? So uh, this, is, this is actually when, when um, Luke joins Paul and the team is recorded in one of my favorite passages of scripture because, well, mostly because I'm a nerd about this sort of thing. Um, Acts 16, 6 through 10. Listen to God's word here. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see why this passage is so cool? You're trying. I can see it. The difference is, remember, Luke is writing this. This is from the book of Acts, which we know Luke wrote. And he goes from saying they and them to saying we and us in Troas. I love that. Right? He says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they attempted to go to Bithynia. Right? And then the vision to Paul Come over and help us. Paul see the vision. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You might not think that's cool, but I love that kind of thing. I'm a nerd. I get it. So Luke remained with Paul for most of his life and ministry after that, preaching and writing. Uh, he was well known by the church and um, is believed that he was martyred in Greece um, being crucified on an olive tree because they didn't have any crosses laying around. Um, so, And you can see evidence of the relationship of Paul and Luke uh, in their accounts of the Lord's Supper, um, as well as Luke's subtle emphasis on justification by faith alone in his gospel. Um, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 11, which is like that's the go-to passage that we read a lot, um, 
uh, during communion very closely echoes Luke's account of the Last Supper in Luke 22. So that's your homework. You can uh, compare those two passages, 1 Corinthians 11 and Luke 22. But Luke's gospel differs greatly from the gospels of Matthew and Mark, and all the gospels differ from John. Um, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They, they're a synopsis of the life and work of ministry, and they cover mostly the same points. Um, but Luke's is a little different, not just in organization and style, but in his overall emphasis in his gospel. Um, Luke endeavored to preserve the chronological order of the events much more than Matthew did and Mark. Uh, so sometimes, like we were, when we were going through Mark, uh, some things were kind of out of order, but it worked with Mark and Peter's emphasis. Um, and Luke's desire was to put together an orderly account of the history. So getting things in the right order was important. And where Matthew uh, presents the Lord Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, Mark announces the gospel of the Son of God. Luke depicts the Son of Man, which is Jesus' most used title for himself. Um, he appeared definitely in Israel for the benefit of all mankind, Jews and Gentiles. Right? He wasn't just the Messiah to the Jews only, um, but to the Gentiles as well. Your favorite author, J.J. Van Oosterzee, he wrote, As Paul led the people of the Lord out of the bondage of the law into the enjoyment of gospel liberty, so did Luke raise sacred history from the standpoint of Israelitish nationality to the higher and holier, higher and holier ground of universal humanity. So it makes sense that Luke would have this similar emphasis that Paul did. The apostle to the Gentiles, right? But a Jewish man. Um, so not ignoring the Jews, but seeing beyond that national uh, boundary. And if you compare Matthew's record of Jesus' genealogy to Luke's, the contrast will really stand out. Remember, as we were going through our devotional reading at Christmas time, we looked at the genealogy uh, of Jesus according to Matthew. And Matthew traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. But what's significant about Abraham is he's, he's the father of the Jewish nation, right? Um, he's the origin of the, human, of the Jewish race. But Luke doesn't stop at Abraham. <clears throat> Luke traced it all the way back to Adam. Why is Adam more significant than Abraham? Abraham is the father of one race, Adam is the father of all races, right? So that's, uh, that's not by accident. So in case you were wondering, we are going to read some of the book of Luke. I'd like to look at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. And typically, I read a whole letter when we're starting a series. Um, but lunchtime comes quick, and it's a long book, so... I'm only going to look at the first four verses of chapter one, um, and it's the only preface given by any gospel writer. Um, so I want to do I want to do a little exercise with you based on these four verses. Okay, so Luke chapter one, verses one through four, and that's on page eight fifty five in the Pew Bible. 
Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. <clears throat> so we've been doing um, already a little bit of our typical Bible study procedure, right? Thinking about who wrote a specific text, who was it written to, and what were the circumstances? Um, and so far we've gotten to the fact that Luke wrote the book, right? But who did Luke write to? Theophilus, right? A well-known name, right? Everybody knows about Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus, yeah. Well, we don't really know much more about him than he was most excellent. Um, the experts think that he lived in Italy, um, but we don't really know. And there's not, there's not much else known about him. Um, but both of Luke's works, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, are both addressed to Theophilus. Um, as far as the circumstances for writing the writing of this gospel, um, I want to do a little exercise with you called drafting an author's intent statement. Right? Some of you might be familiar with this exercise. Um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Luke, Luke is the easiest subject in all of Scripture to do this exercise on, to determine the author's intent um, in both of his writings because you don't have to look any further than the first three or four verses. So he makes it really easy uh, to get all the information that you need in order to draft an author's intent statement. Now, <clears throat> just because I finished my degree doesn't mean I'm going to start talking all ecology at you or anything like that. This is, this is just a way to consider why was this book written? Why was this letter written? What was, what was the original author trying to do, trying to accomplish? We can't just separate ourselves from the original author and the original audience, right? Drafting an author's intent statement is simply to consider what the original author intended to do in his writing. What was he trying to accomplish? This tool is helpful to us because it gets us closer to the original meaning of the text of any given text, because we have to consider who wrote it, who do they write it to, what were the circumstances then, rather than just trying to paint the words over our lives, in our context, in our understanding. <clears throat> this is so important because a biblical text can never mean what it never meant. If Theophilus didn't understand Luke's intent the same way that we understand Luke's intent, who's wrong? It's not Theophilus. It's us, right? We have to get at the original author's intent so that we can get at the original meaning so that then we can take that meaning and apply it uh, to our lives, right? We just can't tear the meaning away from the original audience and try to force, force it into our modern context. And unfortunately... <clears throat> Many churches today do that. Many preachers today do that. Just, uh, just the opposite of that. I mean, to, to say, well, because the Bible was written a long time ago, 
what it says really isn't what it means, um, at least not anymore. Maybe that's what it meant for them then, but it doesn't mean the same for us now. This, my friends, that's the definition of heresy. The Bible will always mean what it always meant. That does not change. The meaning does not change. There is only one meaning, not thousands of meanings for any given text. There's one. The meaning never changes. What does change is the application. There's infinite applications of the one meaning for any given text, right? The application for me might be different for you and for you because our circumstances are different. Our understanding is different. That's how it works. But the meaning remains the same. You get it? Okay. Good. There will be a test. Jesus will be the proctor. So, okay. So let's consider what Luke's original intent was in writing this gospel from verses 1 through 4. And this is, here's how we construct an author's intent statement. It would have been a really good idea to make PowerPoint slides for you. And I didn't. <clears throat> intent statements, author's intent statements are made up of two parts. There's a two and a by. Not the number two, but the word two, T-O, and by, B-Y. Meaning that the author's intent was to accomplish this or that by doing this or that. Right? His accomplish was to do this. By saying this, okay? That'll, that'll make sense in a minute. It's only profound until you do it once, um, like riding a bicycle, All right? So let's look at these verses again, now that we kind of have these, these uh, thoughts formed. Inasmuch as many have taken to under, have, sorry, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So, when we're doing uh, an intense statement, we're looking for one by, uh, one, two, and at least two buys. One, one, two. <laughs> that was a lot less confusing when I wrote it down. We're looking for one, two, and at least two buys. So, because this is your first time, I'm going to help you a little bit. We're going to look for the two first. So, the two, here's your hint, is found in verse four. Okay? Verse Verse 4 holds the 2. <laughs> right? So what, what is Luke's intent? Anybody want to venture a guess? Okay. They have certainty concerning what they told us. Okay. What, what did you say, Betty? To write an orderly account. Okay. Any other guesses? Yeah? To confirm what's been taught? Okay. What are you going to say, Joel? That's what your wife stole it from you. All right. Okay, good. You're, first time, you guys are doing great. 
Luke's intent in writing this gospel was to give Theophilus certainty about the things he had been taught. He wanted Theophilus to be certain about what he had been taught. So in this context, it was obviously the things that he had been taught about the life and ministry of Jesus, not about fly fishing, right? Um, So context is a big piece of the puzzle here, right? So Luke's intent in writing... Luke's intent in writing this gospel was to give Theophilus certainty about the things he had been taught. Now, how did he hope to accomplish that? <clears throat> the buys, they're still in these verses, right? By compiling a narrative? Okay. From eyewitnesses? By collecting accounts from eyewitnesses? Yeah. Give me another one. There's got to be at least two by statements. Write an orderly account. I think you got it. The by statements are how he planned to accomplish the two statement. His, his intent was to give Theophilus certainty about the things he had been taught about the life and ministry of Jesus by collecting accounts from eyewitnesses because Luke is not one of the 12 apostles. Okay? Just because he wrote a gospel doesn't make him one of the 12. So when you're thinking, all right, quick quiz, who are the 12 apostles? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, <laughs> nope. Two of those guys weren't. They weren't there. Right? Luke and Mark were not part of the 12. So <clears throat> he had to collect accounts from eyewitnesses. And uh, he wanted to give Theophilus certainty about the things he'd been taught by writing an orderly account. So he has it written down. Now, other people had tried to compile a narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus, or at least parts of it. Matthew and Mark had already done that work by the time Luke wrote his gospel. Um, But Luke wanted to do it as well. And we'll see as we go through um, the gospel, the fruit of his labor, uh, his emphasis is very different than Matthew and and Mark, um, as well as John, obviously. Uh, His perspective is very, very different as well. So um, this, this author's intent statement exercise can be fun. It can be helpful. Um, if you want to give it a try on your own, you want more homework, uh, the book of Acts is the, the next easiest one to write an author's intent statement for. And um, since you're beginners at it, at it it's, I'll tell you it's found in the first three verses of the book of Acts. Uh, it's a little trickier, but it's definitely worth the effort. Okay? So I've been watching like, a ton of lectures for college. So I really hope that this has not been very lectury to you, although it really feels like that to me right now. I have one last point of emphasis, which will change this from a lecture to a sermon. One last thing about the original recipient of this letter, Theophilus. The name Theophilus means Lover of God. Theo for God. Phylus, lover. St. Ambrose wrote, if you are a lover of God, then this letter is for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this work. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can grow in how we learn and how we understand it, how we research it. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us all 
that ability. And I pray, Father, that we would be good students of your word, that we would seek to mature as disciples of Jesus Christ, not just consumers of the word, um, but students, learners, disciples. Father, we love you and pray for your guidance as we look at the Gospel of Luke, that you would be glorified in it, we would be edified by it, and be made to be more like Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.